BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi there, you're listening to the Lazy Genius Podcast. I'm Kendra Adachi, and I'm here to help you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. Today is a very special bonus episode, a conversation with Dr. Hillary McBride. You might be familiar with Hillary from her time as one of the hosts of the Liturgist podcast or from her own podcast, Other People's Problems. But she has written a book that I think is essential reading for being a human. It's called The Wisdom of Your Body, and it is a transformative, kind, empowering message about what it means to live in your body. In this episode, Hillary talks about why our bodies aren't what we look like, how to engage with our bodies in healing ways, and what it means to exist with pain and tension and let it make us more of who we are. Also, her voice is, uh, it's like honey butter. She's just the best. So please enjoy this bonus episode with Dr. Hillary McBride. Hello, Hillary. <gasps> Hello, Kendra. Oh my goodness. So good to be with you. It's so fun when interviews start, like we haven't been talking for 10 minutes already. <laughs> <laughs> But that was off the record stuff. Yes, it was. That was all of the, the I was going to say the juicy stuff, but I don't want anyone <laughs> to feel like they're missing out. It was exactly. the boring stuff. It was the boring stuff. Nothing important happened. We saved all the good stuff for this interview. Indeed we did. I did a survey recently and asked people like who they follow. There are not as many people who know who you are. In oh, this. great. And I'm so excited about that because you guys, Hillary's the oh. best. So would you just tell us a little about, about who you are and your work? Well, I have to say that my plan for my life, which is to create public work, but remain unknown is going well so far. <laughs> like, I don't know that this is how the publishers like to, you know, kind of work with an author, but I would love to write books and then disappear, disappear completely. <laughs> so, so, um, I I'm going to have to grieve, um, being introduced to your audience because it will, I'm just joking. No, this is, this is wonderful. Like I want to meet all of you and be introduced to you into your lives through the sound waves of this interview. Um, I'm a registered psychologist, which means that I do a bunch of things. I, I do therapy, I teach, I research, I write, but really I think the reason I'm a psychologist, because I'm really interested in being a person. I'm interested in people. I'm so curious about what it means to be human. And I'm on this quest. I think like many of us to figure out how do we do this? How, how do we do this? And, and what are the points where it goes wrong? And what can we do about that? And how come there isn't very much to tell us how to stay with what's good and be with that and really kind of hone in on the wonderful, beautiful parts of being human in a way that helps resource us when, when things are hard. So I am, I am human. I am interested in being human. I'm interested in your experience of being human. And in particular, this really 
vital slice to that, which is how we are in bodies as human. We are not just these astral projections or cloud bubbles or thought bubbles that float above bodies, but we have flesh, we have joints and longings and aches and illness and vibrancy and joy. And we want to fist pump in the air when things are going well and dance at weddings. And that is somehow really important to being human. So that's a big part of the slice of my work. Did you know that one of the main titles that I pitched the lazy genius way to be was how to be a person? Oh, brilliant. Cause it's like, none of us know how to do that. No. <laughs> enter Kendra. <laughs> no, enter a lot of people who, but I think we're so, we're all so maybe desperate isn't the right word. Perhaps in certain seasons we're desperate for mm. it, but it feels like it's the most basic thing, like just mm -hmm. how to be a person in the world. Yeah. And yet it's, it's so deeply complicated in many ways. And one of the things that I really love about, like you said, this particular slice of your work in talking about the body and embodiment is it is, uh, mm, would you agree a misunderstood, uh, <laughs> understanding right. we have, a, we have like a, a pretty wildly flawed perspective on our own bodies. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot of that just from your work that you put into the world and then disappear from like just on Instagram and stuff, but in your, <laughs> in your book, the wisdom of your body, which is so beautiful and helpful and kind and smart and all of these words. One of the things that I personally was like, oh yeah, was that our body is not only about appearance, oh, which on. is so basic to say out loud. I'm like, well, of course it's not. <sighs> and yet it's the first right. thing and often the only thing we think about. Yeah. So, uh, when I was reading your book, you gave uh, a metaphor for what it means to live in your body and then to live where you're only thinking about the appearance of your body. And, uh, it was about, you called it living on the front lawn. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to just sort of explain to us, perhaps using that metaphor, why the body is not just about appearance. Sure. So if you imagine your body to be a home, a home that you have lived in your whole life that belongs to you is yours to decorate and experience and kind of celebrate and also have celebration in when we think about what we do in our homes, we have parties and we, you know, we also cry on the couch with our best friend because something is really hard for us. It's all of this, you know, the highs and the lows are anchored around this particular point, this home. And if we think about our body as a home, for many of us, we were born into this home, but we learned, we learned to leave. We were wooed out of it to live on the front lawn, to, to live our lives really on the sidewalk, looking at the house. And so when we can stretch the metaphor as far as we want, really to say, we start to look at other people's houses and we go, Ooh, you know, they've got really great decor on the trim and, Oh, but you know, my, you know, my house is creaking. And maybe if I just tweak these things and it could look like my neighbors and, we really move into a position of objectifying our bodies. We leave the inner felt experience of being a body to see appearance of our body as the main way of orienting towards ourselves in the world or orienting towards our body. And so when I say to people, and this is kind of like a punchline of my book, really, like you are your body and anything or anyone that has convinced you otherwise is 
wrong, but maybe trying to help you, but is it's wrong. It's not, not true information. When I say that to people, there is for many people an inflammatory response because we have thought of our bodies as our appearance. So when I say you are your body, what people hear is you are how you look. And for many people who have been trying to, uh, circumnavigate how they look, or in particular, the conflict they have internally about how they look or the shame about that being told you are your body feels deeply painful and maybe like it traps them into an appearance that they are in, in conflict with. But what I'm actually trying to suggest in saying that you are your body is that you are more than what the house looks like on the outside. In fact, for most of us, we don't even really see the outside of our house, except for a few moments a day when we're coming or going. And maybe we go, Oh, that's how I know that it's my house. Like when we're driving up the street, we know to turn into the driveway because we see all the signs it it's identified because of its visual markers as being ours, but it's kind of, it's the inside that is meant to house our existence. So coming back onto the inside one is actually a way to oof, create safety for ourselves. It's a way to feel like we have shelter in a world where there is, you know, storms and like night and day, and we, we want privacy really to think about moving back into our home as a way to protect ourselves and create an environment within ourselves worth living in. But two, and here's what I find really interesting the research on embodiment or coming back into yourself as a body, we might say, if we're using this metaphor, living inside your house again, is actually a way to inoculate us against bad body image. So if we have shame about how we look, if we have struggle with our appearance, instead of trying to just change how we look or change how we feel about how we look, moving inside the house, moving back into our bodies is actually a way for us to remember that there is so much more to us, so much more to our bodies than just how we look in a way that actually is shown empirically to protect us against the stories that are lobbied against us and our body image or whatever our neighbor is doing with the, you know, kind of the outside of their house, so to speak. What would you say to people who have been living on the front lawn for so long that they don't even really know how to go inside the house anymore. Right. Like, is there a, this, the, cause this is a, this is an audience that really loves like checklists and formulas uh -huh. by default. Uh -huh. And we are all learning together to start small and to be kind in that process. And that a lot of things cannot be systemized, cannot be mechanized. Um, so is there a practical small mm. first step that anyone who's listening can take. If they're like, Oh, what you're saying that sort of makes sense. That's a new thought for me. I'm right. definitely on the front lawn. I can't even find the door anymore. Right. What do they do? Uh-huh. Okay. So the first thing is, and I, I'm imagining that this will land for some people and not for others. The reason we leave our bodies is not because our bodies were ever bad, but we weren't told how to stay in our bodies in a safe, connected, attuned way where it wouldn't overwhelm us. And sometimes when we've had experiences that were otherwise overwhelming, 
those showed up in a physiological way. It was loud. There was so much sensation. There was terror. There was overwhelm. And so we learned that our body is unsafe any kind of an unsafe place to be in. So it's very important to recognize that there, for many of us are very good reasons why we left the inside of the house because it was violent and intense in there. And we learned to live on the front lawn because although exposed to the elements and reductive of our, the complexity of being human at times might've been safer. So I want to suggest that as we approximate living inside the house again, that we do so in a really gentle, slow, kind of compassionate, curious, thoughtful way, not busting down the front door, not shaming ourselves for like kind of circling the perimeter, but really giving ourselves time to go up and just put our hands on the shingles, so to speak. Oh, that's, that's the house. And I'm closer. And maybe I don't have as many raindrops fall on me as I, you know, shimmy up against the side of this house. So what that looks like practically is, can we, can we start to get closer, even if it's some, a very small way? And what that might mean is maybe we put our hands on our bodies. You go, oh, yeah, this, this is my home. And maybe it just starts by gently, you know, touching our own belly or putting our hands on our chest or holding our hands together, just making contact with ourselves in a way that is kind and gentle and reminds us to slow down and sense. So that's one piece of it. Another thought that I have, if we're trying to kind of operationalize this is <laughs> you're probably going to want to go into a house. If you also know that there's good things in there, not just all the reasons that you left. So what are the reasons why we go into the house? Um, and this is my list, but I encourage people to make their own joy, vitality, connection, presence, pleasure, sensuality, um, maybe even a sense of, of fullness, ultimately connecting to intuition and wisdom, being able to care for ourselves better. So maybe making a list, because even though that's still an intellectual exercise, we know like Frankel and Nietzsche have said this you know, in so many different places, when there is a why we can get through anyhow, when we have the reason to go towards ourselves as a body, it will make it so much easier if what we find inside feels a little foreign or unfamiliar, or it's uncomfortable. And then I think maybe the next, next option would be put your, put your ear up against the front door and you might hear that there's music playing inside. You might hear that there is a dance that you're being invited into. And maybe the kind of, again, the practical application of that is starting to notice, like, do I have hunger or fullness cues? Am I tired? Do I, do I want to go to bed? Is there something inside of me that wants to move right now? Can I listen to that? And even if I don't know how to do something about it, because I'm, you know, really in this highly structured way of existing where I, you know, eat at certain times or I go to bed later than I should, because I need to stay up and do all the things. Like maybe we can't actually engage, but we can start listening and we can start paying attention to the information to decide later what to do with it. One of the things I've learned from, from your work is to pay attention to the information that my body is trying to tell me. Mm -hmm. And, um, as early as yesterday, I was feeling incredibly overwhelmed by mm. a personal situation and I didn't know 
where to begin. You know, we all have those, those situations in our lives where we're like, this is so complicated. This is so complex. I don't even know how I feel about this. And whenever we feel some sort of rise or swell within us that actually does feel, we feel it physically somehow that my tendency for 40 years has been to push that down. Right. Because you don't know what's going to happen if you let that swell continue. Right. Uh And so I have learned from you that paying attention to that is a, it's a cue. It's an information, Mm -hmm. it's information. It's your body saying, Hey, this matters. Let's pay attention to this. And so yesterday I spent some time because I'm a verbal processor, but I didn't really Mm -hmm. have anyone in that moment to actually verbally process it with. I'm not even kidding. You have a baby and you live in another country across like the continent. And I was like, should I call Hillary? Can I call Hillary and talk? Yes. (laughs) I I really did because I needed to verbally process it. But at the same time, sometimes I use verbal processing as an excuse to not sit with myself Mm -hmm. and difficult things. And so I pulled out a, I pulled out a notebook and I just started to write process with pen Mm -hmm. and paper and process whatever was coming out. And I know I tried to pay attention to when my body had a sensation that was approaching that overwhelm that felt like, (gasps) and I, it feels like, um, and it's the same feeling every time, every single time, you know, it's like, uh, it feels like there's a dull, like a blunt saw, Hmm. like in the middle of my chest. And then someone is like pushing out my eyeballs from behind. And so as I was processing, there were certain things that I wrote that did not elicit that feeling. Ah, And then that I kind of expected, like it was interesting. And then I even wrote, I even wrote in my notes, Ooh, saw and eyes. There it is. There's the saw and eyes. Like I actually (laughs) kept writing saw and eyes. (laughs) Incredible. It was really funny, but it helped me actually zone in Mm -hmm. on the real, maybe not real. That's not the right word, but the the foundational fears of the situation, because all that I was experiencing was real, but it all was kind of holding equal urgency Uh in my processing. That's why it felt so overwhelming because I didn't know which thread to pull. Right. And as I was sitting there and listening to what my body was telling me, I was able to name these two significant pieces of this very elaborate puzzle mm. that were the the deeper fears of the situation and work through those and sit with those and allow them to kind of like crest you know and go oh, okay we're st- and and to tell myself hey we're okay you're doing right. okay oh, you know goodness. and so anyway all that to say oh. i would not have been able to do that with without you um but going back to what you were saying like putting your hands when you said, go up and put your hands on the shingles, put your ear against the door. I think for people who have been on the front lawn for so long that even that invitation feels really Mm -hmm. metaphorically foreign. It's like, I don't even know what that means. And so just Uh as a wanting to share that as a practical example of when you said hunger cues and sleep cues and just paying attention to the uh-huh. literal physical sensations that are happening. You even said in your book, and I thought it was, it was so profound. You were talking about hunger and you said, how would you describe how your hunger feels? Mm-hmm. How would you tell someone who didn't know what hunger was, what it feels like? And I was like, 
that's the wildest right. thing I've ever heard, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is yeah. interesting because what that does actually is it tells us that there is an intuition to that. There is an intuitiveness uh -huh. to recognizing what hunger is. Right. We don't know how to say it, but we know what it feels like. So can even that kind of thing, like putting yes. words to how you feel when you're hungry, putting words to what you're, you experience in your body when you put your hand on your chest, like yeah. that's sort of the practical to me, that's sort of the practical, um, representation of putting your ear against the door. Yeah. And the subtext of what you're saying here too, is that emotion is a physiological process. Whereas for many of us, we've learned to believe that emotion is the label, the cognitive label we put on. It's the word it's how we identify it. It's still kind of happening cerebrally up in kind of up in our mind. And yet we're missing all of the stuff that tells us that that's the label that fits or for hunger, for example, right? We're missing how do we know what hunger feels like, even though many of us are good at labeling and hungry, we're missing all of that information and being able to, to sink into our skin in a way that allows us to, to feel from the inside out yields so much information because these emotions, they come with sensation patterns that have like motivational tendencies. So emotion is meant to to compel us to go towards something or away from something, or it's meant to tell us, stop, pay attention, get more information. But if we aren't, if we aren't connecting to what's actually happening in our body, then we're missing how all of that is interwoven with safety, our wisdom, and ultimately who we are, how we know ourselves. Because while there is some, some universality in emotion, like you and I have both felt fear the things that we feel fear about are different based on our lived experience. And so when we know emotion, it actually takes us towards ourselves. It takes us towards what is it that we need to stay safe? What is it we need in order to thrive and flourish? How do we connect? What has hurt us before? What do we want? But being unable to be with those feelings leaves us in a way fragmented from ourselves. So dropping out of our heads to feel those sensations in our body. I mean, gosh, your description and the viscerality of that is, um, it's poignant. And I think a really good example of how many of us maybe feel like our inner experience is foreign to us and how we need, we need to actually get kind of technical about it. What is that sensation? What does it feel like? What do I liken it to? And what does it tell me about what parts in my story need to be paid attention to. Because for me, emotion feels like, like the bolding of a text or like a highlighter. It doesn't necessarily tell me like if I should do that very thing, follow that impulse, but it tells me pay attention to that impulse because it tells you something about you. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace. I don't know if you've checked out my website lately, but she just got an upgrade and we did it with Squarespace. With Squarespace, it is so easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. 
My team recently updated our Squarespace site to use Fluid Engine, a next generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. It's seriously so cool. It's mobile layout display. It lets us see what people see on their own mobile devices as we make edits and updates. And 78% of you visit the site on your mobile device. So making sure what you see looks and performs the way it's meant to matters to me. If you want to build a new website, try out Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash lazy genius to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I found Olive in June in 2020 when we were all looking for new hobbies and things to do. Well, now almost four years later, doing my nails at home with my daughter, Annie, and Olive in June's Manny system is still one of the things I look forward to every week. Olive in June makes it easy to get a salon-worthy manicure from the comfort of your home. The Manny system has everything you need in one box, salon-grade tools designed just for DIY, and your choice of six polish colors. And y'all, the colors they make are stunning. Annie and I just tried out their new colors for Valentine's day i'm wearing love note a sparkly nude that matches my skin tone and annie is wearing bouquet a shimmery pink that matches her personality plus olive and june's polish is chip resistant and lasts for seven days visit oliveandjune.com slash lazy genius for 20 percent off your first manny system that's o-l-i-v-e-a-n-d-j-u-n-e.com slash l-a-z-y-g-e-n-i-u-s for 20 percent off your first manny system This episode is sponsored by Chomps. With three kids running every which way, life at the Adachi house is very full. Someone is always on the go, whether it's to band practice or to a work meeting or down the street to grandma's house. And I love having Chomps in the pantry for a high protein snack that's perfect for life on the go. Chomps are made with natural ingredients, come in nine delicious bold flavors and have up to 12 grams of protein per stick. You can even order them online and have them delivered straight to your door. Right now, Chomps is offering our listeners 20% off your first order and free shipping when you go to chomps.com slash genius. Go to chomps.com slash genius to see all the delicious flavors and get 20% off your first order and free shipping. That's C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash genius. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. This episode is sponsored by Ritual. The days are getting longer, but it's still tough to get the recommended vitamin D from sunshine alone, not to mention the risks we take with sun exposure. That's why I love that my multivitamin is helping me out. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus, that's the one I take, was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. And for someone like me who likes to move but has glass knees, I'll take all the extra support from my multivitamin I can get. Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, flute and major allergen free, and gentle on an empty stomach. Plus, each bottle has a minty essence that makes taking them actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash lazy genius. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash lazy genius for 20% off. I was going to say something else to try to... um drive that home better. And then you said, it's like, it bolds the text. And I was like, oh, that's way better than I was going to (laughs) say. That's exactly what it is because it's not, it's not directive. 
mm. in, in the, in an actionable way. It right. is simply like, it's an arrow uh-huh. paying attention. It's like, Hey, look at this. Just look at this. Yeah. And yeah. when we, and it takes practice, I think that's really important too, to just to be really gentle in that process of, you might not have this profound moment the first time that you start to try to listen to your body and all these different things. Like it's, it's a, it's like rebuilding a relationship. Like you use the word fragmented. Um, yeah, that we're kind of trying to rebuild that. So anyway, that was, that was so good. There was something else that you, um, another metaphor that you had in your book that I thought was so helpful, especially for this audience. And it is a concept that you call the second arrow. And I would just love for, you would say it a lot better than a lot better than I will, but I will, uh, I did pull out your book and hi, I have, it's like highlighted so aggressively. It's really funny. <laughs> and I kept changing my pen. And so it looks like someone who was not really, it's like been in every room of my house. I just grab whatever writing oh, utensils closes. Oh, Kendra, thank you. But you, you were talking about how the, the first arrow is you say, we get an injury, we Mm -hmm. get sick, we face a loss, we struggle with a disease. And that is the first arrow. In some ways, it's something that is done to us out of our control, right? right? Something that happens. Yes. And then you say, but we are the ones who shoot the second arrow. The second arrow is shot when we add to our own pain and suffering by how we talk to ourselves and others about what is happening with us. Mm-hmm. So can you, I feel like that is, I, I think a lot of people listening just went, oh man. Right. <laughs> I thought I have a quiver of second arrows. <laughs> right. That's right. And third and fourth and fifth. And right. yes. So well, yes. I, I'll start by saying that this is not something that I made up. This is a Buddhist principle. And so it's something that you can read lots about and find other places. If you want to dig into it more, this is not something that I've, um, you know, TM'd. Um, it is it's so important to recognize that there is a normative degree of pain in our existence of being human. And that that's not actually something that we need to escape from or be rescued from. Although many of us have not learned or been supported about in how to, how to be with the pain of being human. So when the pain of being human presents itself, you know, someone we love dies, when there's an illness, when we get a a cancer diagnosis, when, there's an injury when you lose your job, when you, I mean, it could be any number of things. Your kid gets sick. You, there's a natural disaster. I mean, a pandemic, let's just throw that in the mix here. And we have these things happen in our life as a means of at times feeling responsible for them and trying to really shame our way into change, shame our way or criticize our way out of our suffering to give ourselves the illusion that we have more power than we do, we beat ourselves up. We bring in another element to kind of hopefully create enough pressure that helps us get away from the suffering that we had as if we're responsible for it. So the thing that happens is the first arrow as you identified, but how we respond to ourselves about it is the second arrow. So if somebody just say, if I wake up and I'm in pain, my body is in pain because of something I did, or I'm sick or whatnot, shaming ourselves, adding to the injury by shooting ourselves again, that's the second arrow. And that's something that we're responsible for. We can't necessarily always change what happens with the first arrow, but the second arrow is something that we can be responsible for. 
And many of us have learned, like I said, to respond to our pain in a way that adds more pain to it. It's like we, we don't know how to turn compassion towards ourselves because maybe on some level we think, you know, then I'm going to be lazy, right? Or then I'm going to be ineffective or then more horrible things are going to happen. But if I, you know, really up the ante and squeeze myself and add more criticism and shame, then I can what stop the pandemic from happening or you're like, <laughs> like, you know, change the diagnosis or like bring that yeah. loved one back. Like it's yeah. the, it's the second arrow has a function for us, but it's ineffective and kind of adds to our suffering. So what we want to try to do is recognize that there are hurts that happen, but instead of adding more pain to them, we come to those hurts with kindness, with tenderness, with nurturance as a way of supporting ourselves through them as a way of healing and, and helping ourselves be kind. And it's, I think this, like I'm kind of alluding to it with my last statement there, but it's really genuinely hard to be deeply compassionate with other people and their suffering. If we can't also do that for ourselves, there tends to be this parallel process between kind of what we fuel ourselves with or how we talk to ourselves and what we ultimately believe about other people and their pain too. And so I think that when we turn towards our own suffering with kindness and compassion and curiosity, what we're doing is we're building the foundation for a more just and loving world, that it is not just about us healing ourselves, but ultimately telling a new story about being human and offering, creating a well of kindness inside of ourselves that can then spill out into other people when we see their suffering too. That is like the entire, that's the, that's the more concise version of the whole 13th chapter of my book, the lazy genius way, because that's the final principle is to be kind to Uh yourself. And, and I, I didn't realize how much I personally for so long had been hamstringing my ability to be with people in their hurt and without judgment, without trying Mm -hmm. to fix it, because I was always judging my own stuff. I was always trying to fix my own problems. Like it is, it's, it's a, it's almost like a muscle that we develop and it's such a strange thing that we all so much want to connect with other people. We want to be there for the people that we love. And it is hard to sit with people in difficult situations. It is. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we're using this, this muscle that we desire to have, but it is so deeply atrophied because we never use it on ourselves. And then we're like, this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. And we start to panic. And then we say things that we all say the wrong things. We all say things that we have to apologize for later. But we, I know for me, I felt like I was consistently saying the wrong thing out of protection for myself because I didn't know how to be with people when things were hard because I didn't know how to be with myself when things were hard. And so I, I just, I really love the simplicity of self-compassion and being Mm -hmm. kind to yourself. And that can happen in kind of slow drips in less consequential ways you know, not sitting with a friend or a family member who just had a cancer diagnosis, but maybe when you like me pull up to a three-way stop at a busy target shopping center and you yell at someone because they don't Mm -hmm. know how to use the three-way stop and then to go, okay, like to take a deep breath and go, (laughs) they're a person, I am a person. This does not matter as much 
like, you know, whatever it is the right. other day, th- this is <laughs> my kids know how much I hate this throwaway stop because the other day, <laughs> my 10 year old, he said, mom, do you want to go around the back way so that you can skip the throwaway oh. stop? And I was like, bless <laughs> you, my sweet Ben. I was like, you're so smart, buddy. Let's do that. Let's not even put mommy in a situation <laughs> right. where she's going to have to exercise self-compassion for making a bad call. <laughs> that reminds me of that parable. Like, you know, I walked down the street, I fell in the hole. I walked down the street, I fell in the hole. I walk down the street. I see the hole. I fall in the hole. I walk down the street. I see, I try to walk around it. I fall in the hole. I walk down another street. Just just pick a different street. It's sometimes that's what you need to do, but that we can actually pick different streets kindly Mm -hmm. that are simpler. And like I said, less consequential, like you don't have dinner. You don't know what dinner is going to be at five 30. Yeah. Like don't beat yourself up about that. Right just pull out hot dogs. It's going to be okay. You know, like it's, it's, it's that. And the more that you practice that kindness in those smaller spaces, the less foreign it feels when you're in Uh more complicated ones. Well, let's flip this on its head too. And think about if what's, what's happening internally is spilling out, then it gives us a kind of a legend. Like I think of a legend on a map to understand why some of the people who hurt us treat us the way that they do, because they're also showing us what it's like internally for them. So if somebody is really, really cruel for us and they're the one yelling at us at the three-way stop at Target, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then we can look at that and we can easily go, ouch, like, oh, that's about me. Or say, oh, I wonder if that's how they talk to themselves inside too. Mm. Like, Oh, I think that they're just showing me that inside hasn't always been a safe place for them to be too. And then when we kind of have in this kind of psychedelic way, the spin out where we see those people, you know, connected to the people who raised them and the people who raised them and the people who raised them, we see, oh, this person who's yelling at us at the, you know, in the grocery store or, you know, is being cruel to us on Twitter or whatever the thing is like, oh, they're doing the thing that was done to them. Oh, and all of a sudden it's easier to engender compassion. Like no wonder they're treating me this way because this is the way they were treated and they didn't deserve that. And no, it's not my responsibility to fix them, but I can see that I don't have to add, here it is the second arrow to this situation. Mm -hmm. I can add compassion to them and to me, because this is just one of those things where hurt is playing out in life and not necessarily you know, a proof of my badness, that here's this person who is interacting with me because it's the only way that they know how, but I don't have to beat myself up about it. You're so smart. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You're like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) You're you're so good at words and making things make sense. Oh, I feel like you were really, really doing the heavy lifting today. I was like, oh, you said it. You said it better than I did. (laughs) There was actually, well, see, I don't need to second arrow myself. At one point I did kind of, um, when I was saying words and I was like, I love that I'm trying to carry on a conversation with this doctor with this amazing therapist. Like I know what I'm talking about. And then I was like, you know what? It's okay. I've had lived it. I've I've had lived experiences. I am, I have been told it was a very healing moment. Actually. I had a therapist, Andy Kolber, who was on the show Uh last year. And she said that my work was trauma informed. And I was like, Oh oh my gosh. Like that was such a a truly like healing, redemptive thing for her to say. And so anyway, so that was one of the things I just had to stop. Like, no, yes. no, no, you can, 
you can have the, you can have this conversation. With oh, you don't have to send a second yes. arrow at this. You oh my goodness. What oh, a treat man. for me to learn from you. And there's something, as you know, writing a book and putting it into the world, when people interact with it and like kind of launch it back to you in a way, you see things that you didn't see even as you were writing it. And so I want to say, not only are you allowed to have this conversation, thank you for teaching me. Thank you for teaching me about this work, about what matters about it, about how it lands for you, about the areas that I can expand on even more. I feel grateful for, for how I've learned from you in this conversation. That's very, very kind. Um, so you guys, Hillary is living in a cave. She will not talk to any of us again. You can read her book. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But the book is called The Wisdom of Your Body by Dr. Hillary McBride. And it really is one of those slow, digestible, like you're going to want to take your time with it. Like I was mm. finding myself zipping through and then stopped zipping. So I was like, no, 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 I don't want to zip here. I want to sit with this. It's, there's just so much oh, wow. help in there um, that feel your metaphors are so good. I wrote, I've just made a list of uh, oh. many of them and they're just <laughs> used to like defenses or like winter coats. Thoughts are like blossoms on a flower. Like there mm. were all of the, the front lawn one, there were all these things that just help, help this sort of large, often overwhelming concept of self-awareness and therapy. And when people say the phrase doing the work, you know, right. that if you've never done that kind of work, it's hard to know where to begin right. and it can feel very academic. It can feel very overwhelming. It can feel almost in many ways, very disembodied because it's just information yeah. being given to you. And so I just love how human you've made this book with, with the use of metaphor, with just your, your own personal stories, which are really beautifully written and very vulnerably shared. And so it's just a delightful, um, tool, everyone, mm. this book. So gosh, thank you wisdom, so much. The wisdom of your body, finding healing, wholeness, and connection through embodied living. Thank you, Kendra. Oh. Thank you for your kindness. And I think, I mean, you captured really what I want is, is not for this to be another intellectual exercise, another book to kind of amass knowledge that stays in our already overly saturated brains. And I want it to be an invitation to come home to yourself. I want it to be an invitation for us all to be re-inhabiting our bodies in a way that allows us to be safe with ourselves, um, gentle and loving towards the people around us, connected to the earth, ultimately moving into a position or space in our lives where we are flourishing because we are more whole than when we started. And that doesn't necessarily happen by memorizing some things that happen in a book. So I really hope that whoever you are, as you're listening to this, when the book finds its way to you, that you do read it slowly and you listen kind of like Kendra was doing with her journaling exercise. You notice what happens in your body as you're reading. And you think of that as really good information that you can get used to get to know yourself better instead of just a way to um, know my ideas more. I want for you to be returned to yourself. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Hillary. And I highly, highly encourage you to get her book, The Wisdom of Your Body. It is something I will return to again and again as I learn more about what it means to live in my body as I am 
in a way that's whole and expansive and living in the house, not just in the front yard. If you would like to dig even more into this topic about your your body, its appearance, its existence, a few other episodes you might want to listen to are episodes 217 and 218, a two-part episode series called Let's Talk About Your Body, episode 157 called What Does It Mean to Take Care of Yourself, and episode 230, How to Feel Like a Person with Andy Kolber, which was another conversation with another therapist focused on our relationship with stress. All of those are great episodes if you want to go a little deeper in your earbuds, but please check out Hillary's book, The Wisdom of Your Body. If you enjoy this podcast and you have never left a review on Apple Podcasts, would you consider doing that? Reviews, as you know, help new listeners discover the show. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing that you all so often do is share these episodes with your real life people. I see a lot of you share episodes on your socials, which I deeply appreciate. It is amazing. Please thank you for doing that and continue to do that. But also I get so many DMs that say something like, my friend has been telling me about your podcast for weeks and I finally started listening and I'm loving it. A lot of you are that friend hounding your other friends to listen to the show or read the book or whatever. And I am just immensely grateful. So thank you for that. All right. Until next time, be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. I'm Kendra. We'll see you on Monday. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.